God offers forgiveness to his enemies. Did you know that? That God offers forgiveness to his enemies. He offers forgiveness to those who have shut their ears. To those who have shaken their fists at him. To those who have sinned again and again and again. To those who have opposed his servants and his witnesses. God offers forgiveness to his enemies. God offers forgiveness to you if you have been resisting him, running from him, refusing him. Today, he offers forgiveness to you in Jesus Christ. He bids you to come to him and to receive that forgiveness. That's what we have the privilege of thinking about this morning from God's word in Acts chapter 7. Stephen bears witness to Jesus Christ throughout the whole Old Testament history. And he is opposed. He's resisted. He's rejected. And he's stoned. And even as he is stoned to death, he pleads that God would forgive his enemies. Enemies like you and me. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. We're going to be studying the whole chapter together this morning. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 to 60. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you should be able to find the passage beginning, because it's a long one, beginning on page 914. We're continuing our study in the book of Acts this morning. And you'll remember that Luke is, in the book of Acts, chronicling the mission of Jesus through his servants, through his witnesses. In Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke said that he was, in his first book, he chronicled all that Jesus began to do and teach. And now in this book, he is chronicling what Jesus continues to do and teach through his disciples. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that he would pour out his spirit on his disciples. And that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In the first six chapters of the book of Acts, that's what we've been seeing. We've been seeing Jesus' disciples be his witnesses in and around Jerusalem. And today we're looking at the event that's a catalyst for sending the gospel, the message about Jesus, that God offers forgiveness to his enemies, sending that message outside of Jerusalem and stretching out to the known world. The event here is in Stephen's life. In Acts chapter 6, Stephen was appointed as a, a proto-deacon in the life of the church. He was a, a servant. There was a, a conflict that emerged. Some widows in the church were being overlooked in the distribution of food. And Stephen was one of these seven men who was appointed to go and to serve the tables of these widows, to make sure that they received food. And as Stephen went out and ministered to these Christian sisters, these older saints in the Lord, he sparked conversations with those around him. Greek-speaking Jews, men like Stephen, began to discuss, why are you doing these things, Stephen? Why are you serving these widows? And Stephen began to say, I I'm serving these sisters in the Lord because Jesus has served me. He he he's the one that the Old Testament promised and prophesied. And so they, they actually began to dispute with Stephen. And as we looked at last week in, Luke, uh, sorry, in Acts chapter 6, Stephen is charged as these discussions ramp up. He's charged with speaking against Moses and against 
God. False witnesses were, were set up against Stephen. He's been put on trial. And they said in Acts chapter 6, verse 13, that Stephen wouldn't stop speaking against the temple and the law. And though Stephen is facing the threat of death under the charge of blasphemy, he was at perfect peace. Luke says that his face was shining like an angel. He knew the truth that he proclaimed. He knew, as we'll see today, who was really on the throne. Stephen knew who was really in control. So in our study today, we begin to see Stephen's answer to these accusers. He boldly even levies his own accusations. He turns the table on his judges, on those who have the power to put him to death. And he accuses them of resisting the Holy Spirit, of murdering God's Messiah and disobeying the law. Even after he accuses his judges of terrible sin, he appeals to God to forgive them. And Luke's aim is to show us that the gospel, this message about God offering forgiveness to his enemies, it also will go beyond Jerusalem. In all of this, in this message from Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, we see that Jesus is really the one the Old Testament promised as our ruler and redeemer from sin. In the lives of Abraham and Joseph and Moses in the temple, we see not only Stephen's answer to the charges that he's speaking against Moses and God and against the temple and the law, but that he's actually showing how they all pointed forward to Jesus Christ. And so we see that we ought not resist God's Holy Spirit, but instead we ought to receive God's Son. And we see that no matter how fierce the enemies of God's people may be, we ought to pray for their forgiveness and pardon from God. For God offers forgiveness to those who oppose Him. He offers forgiveness to His enemies. And friends, brothers and sisters, as we begin to take in this portion of God's Word together, I want to begin by reading all of Acts chapter 7 to you. Before I explain and expound Acts chapter 7, I want to read all of, you, all of it to you. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, the Apostle Paul told Timothy to devote himself to the public reading of God's Word. And that's just what we're going to do. We're going to do what the Scriptures tell us to do. And I know that's a long portion of God's Word. It's about 60 verses. It will take a little over 8 minutes to read. But hearing God's Word, hearing His voice, is far more important than hearing my voice. This is what we gather for here each Lord's Day. To hear from God. So as I read, and as you follow along, let me exhort you and encourage you to give attention to what God says in His Word. As you listen and as you follow along, see if you can spot how Stephen answers his accusers, how he answers these charges concerning how God is he's speaking against God and against Moses, against the law, against the temple. See how he levies his own charges and accusations. And especially pay attention to how Stephen dies, how he appeals to Jesus to forgive them. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 to 60, remembering that Stephen has just been accused and charged. Let's consider the word of our God. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans 
and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and inflict them four hundred years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Mor in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. But they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now, when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, 
I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, who let us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to the worship of the host of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Raphan, the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High God, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. 
Thus ends this reading of our good God's inerrant, inspired, and infallible word. And may he write its eternal truths on all of our hearts this morning. Friends, brothers and sisters, we're going to look at this text in three sections under three headings. In verses 1 to 50, we hear Stephen's answer to the charge of blasphemy. In verses 51 to 53, we'll hear Stephen's accusations to those and against those overseeing his trial. And finally, in verses 54 to 60, we'll see Stephen's appeal to the Lord Jesus. Stephen's answer, Stephen's accusation, and Stephen's appeal. Let's turn now and consider our first point, Stephen's answer, which is found in Acts chapter 7, verses 1 to 50. And I wonder, as we read through this section, these verses, I wonder if you thought that Stephen's answer to his accusers, in verses 1 to 50, the answer to really the charges in Acts chapter 6, verse 11 and 13, I wonder if you found Stephen's answer bizarre. Right? He doesn't take their charges on directly, does he? He doesn't say, you know, you charge me with the law, uh, violating the law of Moses or speaking against it. Here's how I'm not speaking against the law of Moses. He, he doesn't say, you know, you charge me about speaking against the temple. Here's how I'm not speaking against the temple. You, know, you, you charge me of speaking against God. Here's how I'm not speaking against God. He, he didn't take them on one by one like that. Instead, he, he gives a history lesson, doesn't he? He works from Old Testament history, from Abraham to the time of the exile, to give his defense, his answer. At first... It's possible we think that this history lesson is bizarre, but in truth, it's, it's brilliant, I think. Stephen, yes, he, he works from Israel's history, from Abraham to the exile, and he does so in such a way that turns the tables on his hearers. At the end of the day, Stephen's answer might be summarized like this. Brothers, you've not heard our history. You've heard the stories over and over and over again. In that sense, yes, you've heard our history, but you've not heard our history with the heart of faith. You've not understood God's plan and purposes when it comes to the idea of a holy place, when it comes to what Moses was in the life of the history of Israel. In fact, you, you've rejected the law of Moses. I'm not speaking against Moses. I'm not speaking against the temple. I'm not speaking against God. I'm speaking against you. That's Stephen's answer, what he's doing in his answer. He's not filibustering his execution, or trying to educate the most educated men in Israel, this is about showing his hearers about how they and all of Israel throughout their history has rebelled against God, has rebelled against God's purposes in Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and the temple. The reason Stephen gives this answer is so that they might repent of their sins, of resisting God and rejecting God, especially rejecting God's ruler and redeemer, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. The purpose of Stephen's answer is to offer forgiveness. And let's comb through Stephen's answer. But we're not going to read through the whole thing. I'm just going to show you verses here and there. So set your eyes on verse 2. In verses 2 to 8, Stephen reviews God's relationship with Abraham. And it's a subtle response to his charge of blasphemy against God. You see what he says there in verse 2? Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Stephen is revering God. He's honoring God. He's speaking of him in the highest possible terms. He's identifying with these men. I I'm a Jew. I love this God of glory like you. 
I'm not a blasphemer. He ascribes glory to God. Our God is weighty and worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love. This is what Stephen thinks about God. He thinks that he's a God who keeps his promises. He speaks about his promises to Abraham. He's a faithful, glorious God. I wonder, do you speak about God in this way? Do you speak of God as glory, worthy of honor and love? I was at my kids' swim meet yesterday, and I heard somebody use the name of our God. Use it in a common way. We want to avoid that. We want in our hearts that when we speak of God, that we don't speak about Him in, in common terms, but yet that He is exalted, glorious, and good. We want to praise our great God. So when you have the privilege to speak about God, proclaim that He's glorious and great, and greatly to be praised. God is glorious. And notice in verse 2 that Stephen says that He appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. God's glory, it filled the tabernacle and the temple in Israel's later history. But here we're told that God in His glory and the God of glory was also in Mesopotamia. See, the God of glory doesn't just make Himself known in the temple in Jerusalem. He made His glory known in a pagan place like Mesopotamia. What's the point? Well, Stephen is trying to undo some of his hearers thinking about what it means for a place to be holy. The council thinks that the temple is the only holy place. As though the holy God is bound to that holy place. But the history of Israel proves that wherever the holy God is, that place is holy. That's part of the reason there's so much geography actually in Stephen's speech. The council wants to box God in to keep Him in the temple. But Stephen makes it plain that the holy God has never been boxed in and confined to one particular place. I wonder if you boxed God in. I come here because this is precisely where God is. Well, it's true He's here among us because He's among His people by His Holy Spirit. But it's not this place. It's not this physical place that's holy. It's God's Spirit making Himself known here through His people and through His Word. Wherever God makes Himself known through His Spirit, through His Word, through His people, that's where God is. Maybe we box God in in different ways. He can only work in this particular way. Well, God is pleased to work in a multitude of ways. Be careful not to box God in and locate Him to one particular place. Except revealed in His Son, Jesus Christ, shown through His Spirit and His people, His Word. You know, with Abraham, Stephen does something very similar with Joseph, right? With Abraham in Mesopotamia, he does something very similar with Joseph. That's the next section of Stephen's speech there in verses 9 to 16. Take a look at verse 9 of Acts chapter 7. Read verse 9. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Uh, Amazingly, the God of glory even made himself known in Egypt. And that aside about God being with Joseph there in verse 9, it's deliberate. Yes, the the God of glory made himself known in Egypt. Christian, when when you think of Joseph, I hope you find wonderful comfort in him. In his darkest hour, God was with him. You you see what he says there? He was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions. This is the kind of God we serve who is with us and who rescues us. Yes, he was with 
Joseph in Egypt. Know that God, maybe even in your darkest hour, maybe you don't see how He is with you or what He is doing, but it is enough to know that He is with you and that He is working. You know, in bringing up Joseph, making him a significant part of his speech, Stephen is also bringing up a new category for his hearers. He's reminding them that Joseph was rejected by his brothers, but chosen by God. Joseph was God's deliverer who was first rejected, but who then saved his brothers and ruled over them. Remember Joseph in Genesis, he said to his brothers, I have a dream. And he told his brothers that you're all going to bow down before me. Well, that did not go over so well with Joseph's brothers. And Stephen reminds us they sold him into slavery. But one day, they came to him for salvation from starvation. They bowed down before him and received relief from ruin. Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and he rescued them. In fact, it was only because Joseph's brothers rejected him that he could rescue them this is what God has done in the Jesus that Stephen has been proclaiming around Jerusalem Stephen has been going around saying our brothers have rejected Jesus but he's God's chosen one Stephen has been going around saying that Jesus has been rejected he's died but he's also been raised and since he's been rejected and since he's been raised we can now be rescued and saved from sin God was with Joseph. Joseph, He was with Moses too. It cannot be doubted. Just by looking at his words about Moses in verses 17 to 43, this is the largest, longest section in Stephen's speech, we see that contrary to the charges, Stephen esteemed Moses. Take a look there at Acts chapter 7, verse 20. You see what Stephen says there? At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. Know anyone else who is beautiful in God's sight, precious in God's sight, who would say from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased? Moses was beautiful in God's sight. Two verses later, in verse 22, in Acts 7, 22, we learn that Stephen believed that Moses grew in wisdom, right? As he grew up in Egypt, he had the privilege of being educated in the best schools of Egypt. In that same verse, we learn that Moses was mighty in his words and deeds, you know who's also been mighty in their words and deeds? Well, the apostles and Stephen. But they get that from Jesus and the outpouring of His Spirit. Jesus was mighty in words and deeds. Then in verses 23 to 29, Moses' life is actually paralleled with Joseph. Right? Moses thought that his brothers would understand that he was going to be their deliverer, that God would be saving them by his hand. But what did they do? They, they rejected them. They said, who made you ruler and judge over us? They didn't understand that salvation actually was to come by his hand and that he was to be their ruler and judge. What was it that the opening of John's gospel said about Jesus? In John chapter 1 verse 11, we read this about Jesus. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. What about you? Have you received Jesus? Well, Stephen, he believed that Moses had a special relationship with God. He believed that Moses met with God and that God spoke to Moses. You can see that in Acts chapter 7, verses 30 to 33. Verses 30 to 32 tell us that the God of glory appeared to Moses in Midian. There's another place, right? God's turning up in the wilderness. And do you remember 
what God told Moses to do in verse 33. Do you see that there? He said this, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Temple's not the only holy place in history. There was a holy place that Moses met with God in the wilderness. See, he's once again circling back to this idea that God's glory isn't found to the temple in Jerusalem. Midian, the wilderness, is not in Jerusalem. The temple is not a burning bush. The holy place is wherever the holy God makes himself known. And today, the holy God meets his people in his son, Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus taught in John chapter 2, when he taught that his body was the temple. And that he was the fulfillment of all of God's promises in the temple. If you want to meet God, you must meet him in Jesus Christ. And if you are united to, to Jesus Christ in faith, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So, glorify God in your body. Christian, you are a moving, mobile, holy place for God. Glorify God in your body and present the truth about Him. Well, look at verse 34. Do you see that there? Stephen believes that Moses was sent by God. Verse 35 tells us that not only was Moses appointed by God, but the next verse, 36, tells us that he was the leader of God's people. Indeed, Moses performed signs and wonders as he rescued God's people from slavery. Stephen says it yet again. Moses was mighty in words and deeds. Does this remind you of anyone? I hope it reminds you of Jesus. Because Stephen is preaching a sermon on Jesus. He's showing Jesus alive and living portraits of Jesus from the Old Testament. Right? Like Moses, Jesus grew in wisdom. Jesus, as the eternal Son, spoke with God the Father from all eternity. Jesus was sent by God and appointed by God to be the leader of God's people. Jesus was mighty in words and deeds. Jesus was rejected by His own brothers. Jesus performed signs and wonders as He rescued God's people from slavery to sin. Not only did the temple point forward to Jesus, but so did Moses. And notice what Stephen says about Moses in Acts chapter 7, verse 37. You see it there? This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. Right? Stephen has just painted a living picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in the life of Moses. And then he gives this direct citation from Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. It was a part of the passage that we read earlier in the service. If Stephen's hearers were listening carefully, right? if they were picking up what Stephen was putting down, then they would realize that Stephen believes that Jesus is the prophet that Moses promised. And interestingly enough, what Moses went on to say in that portion of Deuteronomy, if you remember from our reading earlier, what Moses went on to say is that God's people should listen to that prophet. And Stephen is suggesting that Israel has not been listening to their history, nor have they been listening to the prophet like Moses. See, Stephen, he is undoubtedly holding up Moses with high regard. He's not speaking against Moses. He's speaking about God's purposes in Moses and through Moses. But again, the people of Israel, Stephen tells us, did not regard Moses. Skip down to verse 39. You see that verse? Our fathers refused to obey him, that's Moses, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. Now what the next few verses go on to communicate, verses 39 to 43, what they do is they chronicle Israel's rejection of the law of Moses. Israel's rejection of the law of Moses is revealed in their idolatry and the worship of other gods. What was the first commandment that God gave Moses? Thou shalt have no other gods but me. And the second, before no idol, bow thy knee. 
At the very moment that the law of Moses was being given to Israel, Israel was breaking the law of Moses. Israel's disobedience to the law of Moses began when they were in the wilderness and Moses was up on the mountain receiving the law of God. It was there that they started to give themselves to idolatry. They had Aaron make a golden calf. And from that point forward in Israel's history, it was littered with idolatry. It was littered with violation after violation of the law of Moses. Israel worshipped Moloch and Raphon and others. And it was this rejection of the law of Moses that led God, turning them over to their sin and sending them off into exile. Stephen saying, brothers, hear our history. Really hear what God was doing in it. God was raising up his rulers and we rejected them. God was making his special presence known all over the place. God's glory cannot be confined to a single place. He appeared in Mesopotamia, in Egypt, in Midian, the wilderness, Sinai, and yes, yes, eventually the temple in Jerusalem. Brothers, God has made his glory known and we have not worshipped him as we ought. And in verses 44 to 50, Stephen underscores what he has said about God's holy place by finally explicitly addressing the temple. Stephen begins by going back to the tabernacle, or as he calls it, the tent of, wilderness, tent of witness in the wilderness. You see there in verse 44, Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. The tabernacle in the wilderness made it possible for the holy God to dwell with and among his people. It was there that they could offer sacrifices and receive the promise of the forgiveness of their sins. You remember what John's Gospel said about Jesus as it opened? He became flesh and He tabernacled among us. Yes, Jesus is the, even the fulfillment of God's glory in the tabernacle. God's glory and grace, they were on the move in the wilderness as the tabernacle moved from place to place. That was the whole point that God could pick up and move with His people in the wilderness and eventually in the promised land. The tabernacle was a portable, holy place. It wasn't fixed. Stephen, he confirms the biblical record. Solomon built the temple. Yes. And do you know what Solomon said at the dedication of the temple? He said this in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon is saying, yes, I built this house for the Lord, but this house cannot contain the glory of God. Stephen knew this. And he pointed to Yahweh's own words from Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. You see, he quotes it there. Heaven is God's throne. The earth is God's footstool. And this means that, that while God did make His presence known in the temple, He can and has made His presence known all over earth because He's the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. As I said, Stephen's answer is this. Brothers, you've not heard our history. Oh, you've listened to the stories for years and years and years. But you have not heard with the heart of faith. You have not seen that God has been planning to send a Redeemer. We see it in men like Joseph and like Moses. We see it in the promise to Abraham that he would have an offspring who would bless the nations. We see it in that he made this tabernacle and this temple, a place where we can receive sacrifices. And Jesus has offered a sacrifice. Brothers, you have not been paying attention to our history. 
I'm not speaking against Moses and God. I'm not speaking against what God has been doing in the Old Testament. I'm telling you that God has been fulfilling His purposes in Jesus Christ and what He was picturing and prefiguring there in the Old Testament. You've not been hearing our history. I'm actually speaking, brothers, against you and your rejection of God. If you grasp that this is Stephen's answer, that history has a purpose, and that God is working in it to make His saving purposes known, and that we are to pay attention to what God is saying and doing, then you'll understand Stephen's accusations there in verses 51 to 53. So let's turn now and consider Stephen's accusations there in verses 51 to 53. The, um, the accusation, or we perhaps we should say accusations, because Stephen levies several in verses 51 to 53, they don't come out of the blue. They're based on the history that he has just recalled and Israel's behavior in that history. So, for example, when Stephen says, you stiff-necked people, it's a term that uh, Moses used of the people of Israel in Exodus 33, and when he says, you uncircumcised in heart and ears, that's what the prophet Jeremiah said of the people of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 6, when he says, you always resist the Holy Spirit, I think that Stephen means to encompass the whole history of Israel. Their pattern of rejecting God's ruler and redeemer, their pattern of idolatrous worship has continued from the beginning down to this day. And that's why Stephen says there, as your fathers did, so do you. Israel of old was stiff-necked and stubborn. They did not believe, they did not listen, and they acted like it. And the same was true for Stephen's hearers. They hadn't been hearing the message that the apostles had been preaching to them. They had heard it from them. They heard them proclaim Jesus of Nazareth. They had not heard Stephen. They had not heard with hearts of faith. They did not believe the message of Jesus. They did not believe that Jesus was God's ruler and redeemer. They rejected him, like Joseph's brothers rejected him. They did not believe that Jesus was the new Moses, the prophet like Moses. They rejected Moses, like they rejected Moses. They did not believe that Jesus was the fulfillment of the temple, just as Jesus told them he was in John chapter 2. They did not believe Jesus when he said, I come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law in Matthew chapter 5. They did not believe that he was God's righteous one, the one who had come to save God's people from their sins. They didn't believe Pilate when he said, I find no fault in him. That was true. Jesus was innocent. He was righteous. They did not believe that he was the one who had come to save God's people from their sins. They did not believe Jesus when he proclaimed himself as the Son of Man in his trial. Jesus, he came to offer an even greater salvation than Joseph and Moses. Joseph offered and saved his brothers, offered salvation from starvation. Moses came to save his brothers from slavery. But Jesus came to save his people from their sins and therefore from eternal condemnation and death. Because that's what sin against God requires. Our sin and rebellion against the eternal God requires an eternal punishment for our sin. They rejected God's righteous one. They killed him. Just as Israel of old put God's prophets to death, so that council betrayed and murdered their brother. They had God's chosen ruler, redeemer, and righteous one hung on a cross to suffer and die. And Stephen says to these men, Brothers, you're hypocrites. You received the law as delivered by angels. They received the law as a heavenly gift 
And it was. But in the end, how they dealt with Jesus, they violated the law. Indeed, they are about to violate the law of Moses. Again, by putting Stephen to death, they violated the law of Moses already by raising up false witnesses against him. Let's be clear about Stephen's aim. His aim is not to condemn his hearers to hell. His aim is to convict them of their sin of rejecting God's Messiah so that they might be led to repentance and receive forgiveness from Jesus. His aim is to lead them to Jesus. Hearing, really hearing, the good news of Jesus comes when we've actually heard the bad news about our sin. And that means that our evangelism as Christians, if it's to be faithful, biblical evangelism, will have to include the sinfulness of man with the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Now friends, brothers and sisters, if you've been hearing the message that Stephen is proclaiming, and the accusations that Stephen is levying, then you cannot allow this text to remain at arm's length from you. You cannot say, Israel's rejection of God's promised ruler and redeemer has nothing to do with me. Instead, you have to ask yourself, have I received God's promised redeemer? Or have I rejected him? You need to consider if you've really been hearing God. Or if you are like those Israelites in the wilderness who want God, but they're idols too. Or if you're trying to have your sin and the Savior too. That's what Israel did at Sinai with the golden calf. And from God's perspective, that's rebellion. That's unbelief. That's disobedience. That's running. That's resisting. That's refusing to hear. And so this is a question for all of us. Are you refusing and resisting? This is a question for Christian and non-Christian alike, those who don't yet consider themselves followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Christian, realize that Stephen's hearers were marked with the covenant sign of circumcision. Perhaps you as a Christian have been marked with the new covenant sign of baptism. That you have signified that you've died with Jesus and been raised with Him. But just because your body has been outwardly marked, it doesn't mean your heart has been inwardly changed. Right? The Jewish leaders have received circumcision of the body. But as Stephen points out in verse 51, they've not been circumcised in heart. The scriptures teach us that the circumcision of the heart is done by God's Holy Spirit. It's done without human hands. And the evidence that we have been circumcised in heart It's made plain in turning from sin and by placing faith, believing in, and obeying Jesus. Similarly, you might uh, turn up to church. Church attendance might be an outward sign, at least of your interest in religious things. But church attendance does not necessarily mean you have circumcised ears, ears that really hear. Church attendance doesn't necessarily mean that you really want to hear the Word of God and what it says because it is food for your soul and you can't live without it. It, it, just, it. it might just mean that you turn up to church because it's your duty. Like, I grew up doing this. I just have to keep doing this. This is what we do. It's the right thing to do. Or, or maybe because it makes you feel religious or feel better about yourself. Beware of formalistic religion and a religion that you attend to only because it makes you feel better. Aim. Not only to hear the word, 
but to believe the word and to put it into practice. So as a church family, we want to heed the counsel of what the writer to the Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 and 13, he writes, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We need to exhort one another to keep holding on to Jesus. It is so difficult to live life for the Lord Jesus Christ in this world. We're often tempted to let Him go. And we need another brother or sister in our life saying, I know it's hard. I know you're struggling with sin. Remember your Savior. Hold on to Him. He's forgiven you. We need other brothers and sisters encouraging us, sometimes daily, to keep resisting not Jesus, not the Spirit, but sin and Satan's temptations. We need each other to encourage one another to keep hearing the Word of God and the promises He makes to us and the love that He shows and declares to us in Jesus Christ. Let's help each other hold on to our confidence in Christ. Israel, they received the law, Stephen says. But they didn't really receive the one who gave the law and really the one who fulfilled the law. They had an immense privilege and they squandered it. So children, youth and young people, I especially want to say this word to you. You have been given an immense privilege. It is an immense privilege to be raised in a gospel preaching church. It is an immense privilege to be raised in a church that proclaims there is salvation from sin in Jesus Christ. It is an immense privilege to be raised in a home where your parents are telling you about the Lord Jesus. So I plead with you, do not be indifferent to their pleas. Do not be indifferent to the preaching from this pulpit. Don't reject Jesus as he's offered to you, just like Israel of old rejected Joseph and Moses. Embrace Jesus as your ruler, the one who rules over your life, and as your redeemer, the one who saves you from sin. As you come to church, don't be stiff-necked. As your mom or dad opens the Bible with you and reads it to you at home, don't be hard-hearted. Don't refuse those lessons from the Lord. They are an immense gift and privilege to you. Don't close your ears to what your Sunday school teachers and preachers from this pulpit declare about Jesus. Receive God's ruler and redeemer in faith and rejoice that he has rescued you from eternal ruin. Oh, children, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ today and you will be saved. Friends, Brothers and sisters, as fierce as these accusations are, you're stiff-necked, you're refusing to hear, you've killed God's Messiah. As fierce as these accusations are, they are a loving confrontation and exposure of the council's sin. Christian, when another brother or sister comes alongside you and shows you sin in your life, don't refuse that and don't resist that. Welcome that. Try to hear how you've been wandering and how you can be led back to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a loving thing to be confronted in your sin and to be comforted in Christ. As fierce as these accusations are, as clear as the confrontation is, it's loving from Stephen's heart. His heart, and as we see in the last few verses of the chapter, it's not filled with hatred toward his brothers. It's filled with love 
And this is what we see in Stephen's appeal. This is our third and final point. It's found in verses 54 to 60. And follow along. I want to read these verses just once more to us. They're they're so moving. Verse 54. Now when they had heard these things, this is the counsel they've heard from Stephen. Now when they had heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garment at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, he has been pleading with his audience to hear what God has been doing in history, showing them how it's been pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ all along the way. He's been pleading with them to hear the salvation that God has accomplished in his son, his ruler and redeemer, Jesus Christ. But as you can tell there in verse 57, they don't want to hear it. Rather than receive conviction of God's Holy Spirit, they continue to resist the Spirit. They're filled with anger and rage and murder. But Stephen is filled with the Holy Spirit. Though all around his soul gives way, Jesus remains all his hope and stay. Stephen went from proclaiming the God of glory, verse 2, to seeing the glory of God. He especially saw God's ruler and redeemer, the Lord Jesus, standing at his right hand. And this is certainly an attestation of Jesus' divinity. It certainly confirms his resurrection from the dead. Dead men don't stand up. Jesus is alive. The resurrected Jesus is alive, Stephen tells his hearers. And no doubt, this standing of the Lord Jesus shows Jesus' approval of Stephen's answer. Jesus' standing shows that he's ready to receive his servant into glory. Matthew Henry said this about the sight of the Savior. He said, Stephen had a view of the glory of Christ sufficient to fill him with joy unspeakable, which was intended not only for his encouragement, but for the support and comfort of all God's suffering servants in all ages. Christian, should you be called to stand like Stephen and give your life for the Savior, you can be sure that God will supply all the grace and power of the Holy Spirit necessary for that day. Stephen, he must make one final stand. He appeals to his brothers by telling them that what he sees, like the the prophet Isaiah, right? Isaiah saw a vision of the heavenly throne room. And Isaiah was told that his message would fall on deaf ears sadly. Well, Stephen, he, he sees a vision like the prophet Isaiah. He saw the Son of Man standing. And that title, Son of Man, was one of Jesus' favorite titles to use of himself in the Gospels. You especially see it in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus, he applied it to himself over and over again. And Jesus took that title from Daniel chapter 7. Listen to what Daniel chapter 7 tells us about this figure, the Son of Man. In verses 13 and 14, Daniel writes, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a Son of Man. 
And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This is who Stephen sees. He sees Jesus. He sees the messianic ruler of God's people. The one promised from the Old Testament scriptures. The one who would receive not just Jewish peoples into his family, into the church, but also Gentiles, as will take place from this point forward. We'll see the gospel going to the Gentiles. This is who Stephen sees, the Savior of all peoples. But again, the council, they do not want to hear it. Instead, they want Stephen to die for such a claim that Jesus is the Son of Man. They stone him, a gruesome and painful form of death. And this killing, it was clearly a sanctioned killing, right? As Saul was standing there giving approval. We'll have to consider more about Saul's life in the weeks ahead, Lord willing. But for now, I want you to notice how Stephen's death parallels Jesus' death. As Jesus was killed outside the camp, so Stephen is killed outside the city. As Jesus hung on the cross, he appealed to God the Father to receive his spirit. And now as Stephen dies, he appeals to the Lord Jesus to receive his spirit. Stephen trusted Jesus to the death and in death. Christian, know this. When it comes time for you to die, the one who died for you will receive you into glory. Like Stephen, trust Jesus unto death and trust Jesus in death. As Stephen died, grace and mercy and love and forgiveness were in his heart for the enemies who were killing him. Remember that as Jesus was nailed to the cross, he appealed to the Father to forgive those who nailed him to the tree. And so too, Stephen appeals to Jesus to forgive them of their sins. Remember, Jesus revealed in his ministry that only God can forgive sins. And here we're seeing Stephen appeal to Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, showing Stephen's belief that Jesus is fully man and fully God. Jesus appealed, Stephen appeals to Jesus, God's ruler and redeemer. Friends, God forgives his enemies in Jesus Christ. Stephen is praying for the forgiveness of his enemies. And friend, if you have not turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, then you're an enemy of God. Forsake being an enemy and turn and trust in Jesus Christ. Become God's friend and beloved child, believing that Jesus lived for you, the life that you have not lived, the righteous life that God requires. Believe that Jesus died for you, that he was paid the punishment in his own body on the tree for your sins. And believe that Jesus was raised from the grave so that you might be forgiven and accepted in God's sight just as Jesus was accepted into glory. Friends, Stephen is pleading for forgiveness as he dies. I plead with you, be forgiven today and come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It's available to those who have previously rejected God, run away from God, refused God, and resisted to listen to God. He offers it today. You must turn to Jesus and believe in Him. And Christian, as you see this sight of Stephen and him dying and forgiving or seeking the forgiveness of his enemies, think of how much you have been forgiven and purpose to forgive much. Too often, we hold on to grudges 
and slights. We allow sins and the anger of others to eat away at us and make us bitter. And as a friend of mine told me so long ago, bitterness is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. The path through bitterness is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgive your enemies. And as Stephen died, plead, pray like he did for the souls of the lost to be found. He fell to his knees and he pleaded with God not to hold their sin against them. As you live, fall to your knees and plead for God to save your family and friends, co-workers and neighbors. Stephen was a man who loved much because he had been forgiven much. It is a sweet testimony that after he said this, he fell asleep. Here, Luke uses a euphemism for death. It's a tender image for such a terrible death, isn't it? How how does one fall asleep in the midst of being stoned? The thing about sleep is that you wake up. And when God's people fall asleep in death, they wake up in the presence of their Savior. And as we conclude, I want to urge you to consider that though Stephen may not have been heard in his answer or in his accusations, he was heard in his appeal. He was certainly heard by God. For God answered his prayer to forgive at least one sinner there that day. To forgive the sins of Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul. As Augustine observed so many years ago, if Stephen had never prayed, Paul would have never preached. Brothers and sisters, don't give up on praying for the lost. Pray, appeal to God that he would save. And do you know why Stephen prayed? He prayed because he heard the voice of God in the scriptures. Stephen prayed because he heard through the life of Abraham and Joseph and Moses and the ministry of the temple and tabernacle of God that God would send a ruler and redeemer to rescue him from sin. Indeed, that God had sent that ruler and redeemer. Stephen prayed because he heard and believed that God forgives his enemies in Jesus Christ. Have you heard? Have you believed? Have you been forgiven? Appeal to Jesus today. He is ready, willing, and able to save. Let's pray together.